The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, the Force has awakened, but what comes next? Dante and Conan and curse words, oh my, plus our semi-demi-hemi-weekly discussion of the topics of the day, flitting about the pop culture worlds like a magical hummingbird with a Balkan accent. Somebody should make a character like that. And of course, our kick-butt poll of the week. Remember, at the MSP, we consider the five W's, the who, the where, the when, the why, the what, and the how much have you got, although that last one may just be a Pet Shop Boys lyric. In any case, blah, 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 major spoilers podcast, blah, blah, on the air, blah. Welcome to issue 713 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Count you down to Ooh. Armageddon. Ooh, uh, look, 713. Uh, Matthew is there and Rodrigo is there. That's two mm. unlucky numbers together, 7 and 13. Yes, I'm sure. Let us get to some news. 713. Star Wars Episode Eight has a title. What does it mean? The 89th Annual Academy Award nominees have been announced, and the Black Adam is going to get a solo movie in addition to his regular movie, followed by yet another movie. Let's spin that Wheel of Destiny. See where it lands. Oh, it's probably the thing I think everyone is talking about. The yeah, the Academy no. Awards. Uh, the Star Wars Episode Eight title has oh. been revealed. Let me just say this I, about the, the, the Academy Awards. Yeah. It, is, it is a very sad day in mm-hmm. culture when our local movie theater only had, in the, in the Best Picture category, only one of those movies ever came to us in the entire year. And that one came out just this, this last week. And the rest if of If I may. I was born in Western Kansas. I grew up in Western Kansas. I lived in Hayes for more than a decade. And you cannot use the word Hayes and the word culture in the same sentence. You can. Without an asterisk. Hayes is maybe not pop culture, but Hayes is very good when it comes to culture. And the community strives very hard to bring the the arts and entertainments Mm -hmm. here. It's just AMC sucks. Uh, but hey, Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. What do we think mm-hmm. about that title, Rodrigo? The last one of them. Or plural. I wish. Uh, yeah, that's that. That's kind of what, as far as I can tell, happened on the Internet. People were like, why do they mean The Last Jedi? And then any number of people were like, you know, Jedi is also the plural of Jedi. And people were like, oh. Uh, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there could be like two could be or like six two of or them. seven or one or nine or however many. So, mm-hmm. it, hmm. it, yeah, go ahead. I, I mean, it just like uh, there was that initial like gasp and pearl clutching. And then uh, people were like, oh, wait, yeah. Stop clutching pearls. Of She's got course it, to do it. It could, just, it could still be uh, singular, right? It could mean that, it could. hey, we're going to see the end of Luke Skywalker and uh, Ray may have to carry on. Or maybe Ray's not even a Jedi. Maybe she doesn't want to have any part of of that system. Mm-hmm. She may be force aware, but doesn't want to be a Jedi. You know what I think? What do you think? I think it's the story of Alex Rogan, who uh, lives in a trailer park and plays Jedi, which is an arta- arcade game where you're defending the frontier, <laughs> right? From the Kodan Armada. But then it actually discovers that the arcade game is a recruiting technique for the Jedi. And so, so he's he has not the, to, he has to travel he, to a galaxy far, far away and exactly. a long, long time ago. So it's a time travel Alternate reality. 
the last Jedi mm. and defend against the Kodan Armada. And of course, he'll have the special Desk Blossom attack that he has in his uh, 3D animated 1980s. Or, uh, or maybe it's an autobiography, Jed mm-hmm. I. <laughs> Naked Jed I. No. <laughs> so I some people. The Last Jedi is that Tom Cruise movie where he's uh, the uh, guy who goes and saves. No. That's so the there are summer. some people that are like, oh, they only came up with this t- title now because Carrie Fisher's dead. And so that means that Luke Skywalker is the last Jedi. OK. And to wow. which I will to which I will say, yeah, maybe. But remember. Princess Leia is force aware. She was never a Jedi. Just because you have also, the force doesn't make you a Jedi. This yeah. is Disney. Disney has 15 levels of corporate bureaucracy before you can find your way to the can. I do not believe that three weeks after Carrie passed away, oh, yeah, a month no. after Carrie no, passed this, away. I mean, this movie's shot and edited. They are in the process of being finished editing. Um, yeah. This, this title was picked years ago with Kathleen Kennedy. Yeah. And I would bet that even before uh, Lucas uh, finally exited, he probably had some input on the title of this. So, yeah. Yep. Uh, episode 789. They're done. I mean, as far as script and story, and there's probably going to be some changes to nine, but uh, mm-hmm. the only thing that's left is to shoot episode nine, and that's it. Well, and let's let's go. Let's speculate really quick. Okay. What happens if Luke Skywalker is killed at the end of this movie? What happens if he pulls an Obi Wan Kenobi and is struck mm-hmm. down and becomes more powerful than ever before? Um, does that change the nature of the quote unquote main star Wars films? Not really because, and I say this as a comic book fan who hates the fact that we as comic book fans cannot accept endings. Characters deserve an ending. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Characters deserve a beginning, a middle and an end. Luke Skywalker started as a 19 year old whiny kid And now he's an elderly cyborg living on a rock outside New Zealand. And if he does die in the course of this film, the real question is going to be how and why and will it carry the same weight as, say, Ben Kenobi's death or, you know, the terrible, terrible, horrible thing that happened to Han Solo that we won't spoiler two years after the movie. Wait, we already spoiled it. So Han Solo died in the last one. But I don't know. I think that. Luke Skywalker deserves a heroic ending if that's something that makes sense within the story. And I think that to to say, well, Luke can't die, Luke can't die, we've already lost Han Solo, we've already lost, you know, Princess Leia. <sighs> Guys, these things are going to happen. I mean, if 2016 caught, taught us anything, it's that these things are going to happen. And I feel like... If Disney is really committing to a Star Wars film every year for the rest of our natural lives, they're going to have to transition away from these original actors who are in their 60s and 70s. Well, so, Rodrigo, if if a Skywalker is finally uh, killed in this movie and we know that there is an episode nine, does it take away from this main Star Wars story? I'll, I'll ask you, because ever since you go back to episode one, uh, the prequel movies. Mm-hmm. They've got a Skywalker in every movie. Will it be any different uh, if there's not a Skywalker in episode nine? Oh, no. Uh, this, like, these movies, this, like, next bunch of sequels, 
were always meant to be a passing of the torch. Um, and, and by torch, I mean enormous save to keep money. Um, you're always like they were always going to be the movies uh, in which the original cast exits and a new cast is instated mm-hmm. so that they can then continue to make sequels until those guys get too old. Um, uh, for me, uh, you know, Star Wars isn't the story of the Skywalker family. Uh, the Skywalker family features prominently in it, but honestly, there's times when I'm like, enough with the Skywalker stuff. <laughs> like, there's a lot of other stuff going on in Star Wars we can right. we can learn about. Um, like Luke's the real got problem, a clone whose name is Luke. The the real problem is that um, these movies, I feel, a lot of the time are really trying to be everything to everyone, mm-hmm. and you can't. You can't be the multi-generational epic of a family and also this kind of travelogue of the galaxy and also like this thing that's all about the Jedi. In a lot of ways, all of those things go hand in hand, but sometimes the story is going to pull apart from that. It's going to pull away and to force everything together is to uh, end up with some, you know, subpar moments in your movies, some moments that feel very forced. Mm-hmm. Some people no would be intended. some people would be like, "Hey, I'm okay if there's not a uh, Skywalker after this movie, and uh, we can get on with all the youngins." Hey, Rogue but, One did pretty well, and nobody seemed to mind that there weren't any Jedi oh, yeah. in the movie. Yeah, no, and well, in, there were Jedi in, in that movie, but we're dealing with an in-universe context where ghosts literally freaking exist. Ghosts are part and parcel of this, so the death of Luke Skywalker does not mean the end of Luke Skywalker as a. Uh, player character for lack of a better word or the end of Mark Hamill in their star Wars movies, either Luke Skywalker could die at the end of this one and still be a major player, or at least a, you know, as a force in episode uh, nine, 10. And I see what you did there. Ah, see what I did there. <laughs> I made a, a joke. I'm like a poet and I didn't realize, but also, and this, this is something that is very important. We are here in the year 2017 with a resurrected with a resurrected Barry Allen and Kara Zor-El on TV because nobody could stand to let them go when they both died 30 years ago. You can't do that with real human beings. It's going to I mean it's going to come down to one of two things. If we want our Luke Skywalker to go on forever, we're going to have to either separate Luke Skywalker from Mark Hamill, which seems unthinkable, mm-hmm. Or separate our affection from Luke Skywalker. Well, we've had three different people play uh, play Darth Vader, and no one well, seems yeah, to really care too much about that. Darth Vader's a different beast. Darth Vader isn't a person. Darth Vader is a suit. You could put that suit on the big show, and, well, he'd be fatter, but you could still get that same effect. But, I mean, if you're talking about someone whose face is front and center— the real question for me is going to be, we've already seen them. They've cast a young Han Solo for a young Han yeah. Solo movie. Yeah. That means Han Solo is no longer exclusively the purview of Harrison Ford. Right, right. I'm perfectly which, fine with that. I, you I, know I what? think this is kind of the same thing, though. Yeah. You know what's funny? Anytime somebody says young Han Solo, mm-hmm. I always get like a Rush song stuck in my head. Exit the warrior to Han Solo. He gets hound you, and he lost his ship in a card game, and he's 
Best friend is a walking rug, yeah! And then R2's like... (laughs) (laughs) Now that's comedy, my friends. (laughs) So, uh, Rodrigo, you have a weird... I think this is your question, Rodrigo. Uh, Uh, No. Oh, okay. So I guess it's Matthews then. Um, we already know that, that Carrie Fisher, uh, passed away recently, but she's already completed all of the filming for episode eight. Yes. Uh, Lucasfilm has said that, uh, while we have her likeness rights, we're not going to create a digital Carrie Fisher for episode nine, but it was okay for them to do it with Grand Moff Tarkin. Right. And my 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 thinking on this is there I, I kind of have two thought processes on it okay and we had an extended discussion some months ago maybe years ago now about the question of likeness rights and using the face and image of a dead person mm-hmm. but peter cushing passed away in the 90s i want to say mm-hmm. maybe even the late 80s peter mm-hmm. cushing Peter Cushing, I mean, he's he's a high profile character. He's a, he was a he was an excellent actor. He was a person that people hold dear for his portrayal of Grand Moff Tarkin, for his portrayal of Doctor Who on on the movie screens. But he's been gone for a very long time. And my question is, does that make it different? Is is the freshness of Carrie's loss? Part of the reason they say we're not going to do a digital Leah. That's that is part of me wants to say that's my guess, because if this were 30 years from now and they said, hey, we're going to bring back the uh, Carrie Fisher, Princess Leia in her old form. The last time you saw her in episode eight, I think people would go, oh, that's kind of interesting. She still is an uncanny valley stuff and people would be having this discussion. But because it's within a year or two, because we're going to go through this when episode eight arrives, so many people are going to go, oh, my God, Carrie Fisher. Oh man, she just died not too long ago. And so people are going to go through that again. And and so I think that because, because it is so close to so many people, as far as time goes, I honestly Mm -hmm. believe that's why they, they won't do it. But, um, Peter Cushing, you're right. It's 30 years. And most of the people who are star Wars fans now probably don't even know who he is. Yeah. And by well, most, I say people under 30, 25. People under 30, 35, yeah. Yeah. The, the thing that really resonates for me as a voice nerd is there are a legion of people right now who are paid to do an impression of Mel Blanc doing impression of other people. And that is usually considered okay. I mean, a, a Bugs Bunny voiced by Dave Coulier, or whoever is voicing Bugs now. That's who's doing it, yeah. Well, and Mel Blanc has been dead for God since we were in since high we school. In, Mel no, Blanc, no, 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 he died when we were in first, first or second year in college. But yeah, like the late late eighties, yeah. very beginning of the nineties, Mel yeah. Blanc passed away. So, you know, it's it's an interesting question to me whether, and you know, it totally ties into that question of do we tie Luke Skywalker inextricably to Mark Hamill? Is what's the difference between? Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia and Peter Cushing as Grand Moff Tarkin. Is it could be, is it time or is it a level of character? I mean, Tarkin was a stick kind of kind of guy. He was a level, he was a level boss in the first movie and died and was never seen again. Whereas Leia is like a, you know, a character in every version of the star Wars ever. So I say it's time and distance. Rodrigo, what, what do you say? 
I think it's a little bit of that. Um, I, I think there's something about it that is a feeling, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, if, you know, when uh, Carrie Fisher passed away, uh, it's like people almost waited a whole day to be like, so um, uh, what what are you going to do with Star Wars? <laughs> right. What, you know? What, what, what about like, our stuff? Yeah, nobody wanted to be a big jerk, but it didn't take too long. And but but that also tells you something, right? There's this level of kind of respect that says um, we really care about this franchise and the characters and the actors. Mm-hmm. Um, and this either seems too soon or too sacrilegious or too something. But there's this kind of weird feeling that. Anytime somebody's like, so are they going to do CG uh, Princess Leia? Everybody kind of goes like, I don't know. You know, it's like maybe it is that it just happened. But also, I think it is like a um, kind of this respect for the character. Like the thing that made it okay to do it in Rogue One kind of makes it not okay anymore now. Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 You know, this is this is a thing because I was always fascinated by the fact that uh, George O'Hanlon, who voiced George Jetson, died, and the Jetsons franchise went dormant for twenty five years. Now, I'm not you know the the Jetsons is not necessarily a top tier Star Wars level thing going on. It's not something that would be something that they're immediately going to go, "Oh my God, Hanna Barbera, what are you doing? This is your biggest your biggest number," but at that point, when they brought it back in like 2016 or 2000, actually this year, I think they bring back the Jetsons without George. I'm like, we waited a very long time. What makes it okay now? I guess, and then, I don't know. It's a, it's a complicated thing, and it ties back to that discussion of well, the likeness rights and the who's the what's and the things. You know, well, they have the likeness rights. I mean, there's no question about that. But sure. I think it I think it is it is the time and the distance and what a horrible PR thing that Disney and Lucasfilm don't want to have to deal with when it, yeah. when you're going to have so many people rise up and say, how dare you try to make money off of a dead person? Right. right. Well, and Carrie is beloved as a human being. Right. Almost as much as Leia is as a fictional character. And right. that is a relative rarity. I mean, even if you talk about that Mel Blanc example, Mel Blanc is somebody that I'm like, oh my God, I totally respect and love that guy. But to most people, he's just the Bugs Bunny voice. But Carrie Fisher has been like a, a presence as a human being and an, and an actress and a writer and a producer. So I, I don't know if that makes the difference or if it is just that question of, you know, a function of time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, if you want to find out more about Star Wars and all the other things going on over at Major Spoilers, head over to Majorspoilers.com, where you will find news, reviews, and interviews, and a whole lot more, including podcasts like this one. And we would sure love your support to keep these shows going in 2017. If you can help us out a buck, a buck a week, a buck a month, two bucks a month, every little bit helps. Yeah. Head over to Patreon.com slash Majorspoilers. We've got a bunch of bonus stuff over there for you, including the Flashback Podcast. Uh, we've got the Bonus Tracks uh, Podcasts. Uh, we even have a discussion this week for those of you who are patrons right now about <gasps> the Black Adam solo movie. So head over to Patreon.com slash Majorspoilers. 
sign up, get access to a bunch of stuff. And here's the cool thing is when you sign up, you don't get access of stuff from here forward. You get access to a complete archive of stuff that will give you literally hundreds of hours of listening pleasure. So head over to patreon.com slash major spoilers. Let us do some reviews and start off this week with, um, how about Rodrigo? How about me? How about Rodrigo? How about him? How about, okay. So I, uh, picked up Dante, which is a one shot. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Is Um, Is he even supposed to be here today? No, that's why I picked him up. I'm like, where have you been, man? And he's like, oh, a drawing over there. That jerk. In any that case. Jerk. He hasn't drawn for us in forever, that jerk. Yeah. Jerk with his face. And his drawing. Oh, he has. He just, he just doesn't have a scanner. Um, <laughs> <laughs> There's anyway, $32 is... at the Piggly Wiggly. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, yeah, next to the B. Dalton. Uh Dante one so shot. anyway, ancient, ancient major spoilers inside jokes aside, um, I picked up yeah a comic from Top Cow uh, called Dante. And Dante is the story of a guy named Dante. Uh, he is a killer for hire and he has killed a lot of peoples. But he has a family and he wants to take care of them. And then something happens and he is cursed. Um, And now he must atone for his bad happenings um, and be less cursed. Does he have to go out and kill a thousand bad men to make up for the hundred good men that he killed? No, actually, the thing that's nice about this is that um, killing doesn't count. Ah, okay. Like, you can't just kill bad people to make up for the bad things you did. So when I started reading this comic, I was like, this seems terrible. Like, uh, there's just basically nothing in here that I like. Um, It's kind of this, like, very morally reprehensible main character who's, like, cool... Um, and he's a cool assassin. You know, there's a lot of cool assassins out there and stuff. And, um, he gets betrayed and then he, uh, something supernatural happens. Like, uh. But, the the redemption angle is interesting. I do like that. And, uh, the character does, uh, atone for one of the people that he has killed through nonviolent means, sort of. Um, he, there's still violence involved, but the point of it is not the violence, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting. It does make the comic a lot more interesting, a lot more, um, it adds another dimension to it. And it's, it's important, you know, because it would be easy. Like there's a reason, Stephen, where you jump to that, uh, idea is because a, it's been done before. And B, it's easy to be like, well, this guy's already a gun guy. So why doesn't he just gun down super cool bad guys? Uh, like just rooms and rooms of bad guys. And then he is redeemed at the end of a lot of action uh, in comics. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that they decided to to be like, OK, well, this has to be 
like real actual atonement. Like he has to do something that's not just shooting. Um, it actually made me interested in it. Um, the art is okay. I'm not crazy about it. Um, there's really nothing wrong with it. The character you can tell who the characters are and everything. There's no real problems. The action is fine. Um, it's just kind of not my thing. And that is actually the case pretty much with the entirety of the comic. This comic is really not my thing. It's not something that I'm terribly interested in. Uh, but that's nothing to take away from the comic itself, right? Um, so I'm going to give it three slices of meatloaf because it starts out like as something that I would absolutely not want to read and then becomes something that I would be okay with reading. Um, and that was actually a very surprising turn. Nothing wrong with it. Uh, better than average effort. Uh, Dante, uh, three slices of meatloaf. So is this literally a one shot or does this mean one shot because of his redemption or one shot because he uses a gun or, or what's the deal? No, it's. Uh, well, actually, that's a good question. There doesn't seem to be a number attached to it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, but the they usually don't go. Doesn't... They don't usually go Dante comma one shot. Yeah, that's the other thing that I found really weird whenever I was well. Posting if you look that. at the cover, mm-hmm. if you look at the cover. It doesn't have that. Yeah, that's weird. The cover just says Dante. So does and it? Oh, okay. All right. So it is probably a bunch, of, one shot. bunch of characters, and yeah. So I'm guessing this is just how top cow does their numbering right if it was an ongoing it would say dante number, number one. one yeah yeah in the solicitation or, so I'm, I'm guessing yeah my guess is if it does really well unless the guy's dead at the end no. there's room for a second shot this is absolutely 100 percent meant to be an ongoing this is an introduction to this character it's the character's origin story it's like it feels more like, uh, you know, except for the fact that it's like 50 pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels like, you know, the old number zero issues. Yeah. Uh, like that's that's kind of what it feels like. It's this like very straightforward, like. Uh, here's a guy, here's what he has, here's what he loses, here's what, you know, kicks off the story uh, from here on out. It's like a very violent. My name is Earl basically Mm, okay (laughs) all right uh so yeah Uh, it's interesting it is interesting um my main gripe with it though um and i totally spaced it until now uh is that the curse comes from an old chinese woman Mm. Mm. Uh, yeah right i'm just like uh, mm. Mm. like i i would have been a lot more uh on board with like a cursed artifact coming into play or um that's about it because almost any classical way of laying a curse on someone is like it's somewhat problematic nowadays um take it or leave it the character sticks around like she talks to him so maybe there will be some opportunity for uh if this does continue to or if this becomes an ongoing, maybe to flesh out the uh, old mystical woman into a character that doesn't just feel like a stereotype. Um, we'll see. Okay, cool. Uh, for me, I've got Conan the the Slayer, not Conan the Destroyer, Conan the Slayer number six. This is part of a much longer arc. In fact, it feels like the middle of an arc. What's gone on before is uh, Conan is hoping the, helping these guys called the Kozaks uh, fight a, um, uh, palace city that wants them dead. And, um, 
turns out in previous adventures, the young leader of the Kozaks has been killed. And in this um, issue, they're all mourning his death while secretly the king of the or the ruler of the town, whatever the walled city is, has sent secret oiled up ninjas to go and kill the remaining members of the tribe. And when I say oiled the king, up, the king of town did this, the king of town the, <laughs> got together with the poop smith and they oiled those ninjas up and they went out to go kill the, uh, the, the Kozaks. It's really kind of weird because if you've been reading the Conan series for a long time, you know that anytime a wizard character or someone who is supposed to be offering sage advice that never quite goes right to the king, you kind of know that there's something not quite right about the old guy and he's probably behind a greater power. And that's kind of what this effect. Yeah. That's kind of what feels like is going on here. But, um, so he sends uh, the soldiers out and because their leather makes noise when they move, they've oiled them up so they can sneak in the middle of the night and attack without being heard. As the Kozaks are being slaughtered, uh, the dead king of this tribe that they had been burning on a pyre rises up and strikes down a couple of these uh, of these uh, secret uh, assassins and frightens a couple of them off, at which point everyone in the uh, in the tribe thinks that Conan had something to do with it and thinks that it's a sign. And so now Conan has become the king or the leader of their tribe to avenge the previous leader's death. But there's something else going on, as there always is with Conan. Um, I've mentioned this before. I love the lettering in the Conan books because anytime you have the narrator talking, it's done in old typewriter, New Times Roman um, or Times New Roman, whichever one it is, Courier. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it's really kind of cool because you feel like you're reading that pulp tale. And I like that a lot. Uh, the, art, the art by Sergio Davila uh, is fine. Helvetica Bold, the queen of the Amazons. Comics Sans is the one that they're using throughout. Um, no. That's why it's a fantastic book. Uh, the, the story is by Colin Bunn and Colin Bunn is just like writing everything these days. I found the story very intriguing. I have, be honest, I have not read the previous, uh, five issues. Uh, this is interesting enough that I want to know what the monster is creeping in the background, lurking in the background that, that, uh, Conan feels coming. Uh, so it's interesting enough to pick up and read if you're a Conan fan. My guess is if you are a Conan fan, you've been reading this all along. I'm giving this three slices of meatloaf out of five. It's a solid book. It's an enjoyable book. Um, there's a lot of uh, bloodshed and a lot of uh, creepy, crawly things happening in this book to entertain you. Um, but it felt and the reason why it had a lower than rating is because it feels like every other Conan book that I have ever read. And I'm kind of ready after 143 issues of Conan being at Dark Horse. I kind of want something a little different. I don't want Conan in the present. I don't want him uh, flung to the far future. But I need something different in my Conan tales. And that's why I'm giving this issue three out of five slices of meatloaf. Uh, Matthew, you have some curse words for us. I do. Beep, 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 beep. I also am reviewing a book by that name. Okay. But then I always have curse words for you guys. Curse words number one, written by Charles Sewell, art by Ryan Brown from Image uh, Comics. I had no idea what was coming when I picked up curse words. Because if you actually read the solicits, it's all weird and kind of, ooh, and then there's a guy coming and there's a wizard and he's casting spells and he's getting rich. and uh, But it's it's not. It's evil. It's evil and it's bad. And it's fascinating because it starts... 
And I've talked about this. I've I've complained about this. In fact, it starts in the middle of the story and then jumps back to show us yeah, yeah. where we came from. But it works here. We start with uh, the character whose name is Wizard uh, in his office meeting with a pop star who wants to be eternal. So he wants to go platinum. So Wizard uses his magic to turn the kid to platinum. Which, of course, is a massive use of energy, which calls down his old enemy, a wizard named Cornwall, who looks exactly like you'd expect a wizard named Cornwall to look. He looks like he escaped from Shakespeare in the park with an enormous phallic staff. And then the fighty fighty begins, and we flash back some time to Wizard's arrival in modern-day New York in Central Park. And it's clear from this that he is evil, evil, evil. He has been sent to destroy the world oh, by no. the evil, by an evil sorcerer named Syzygy. Really seriously? Obviously. Yeah. Oh, boy. But it's not spelled with Y's and Z's and things. It's spelled S-I-Z-Z-E-G-E-E. There are <laughs> so, a couple of <laughs> so he's beautiful. Syzygy. Syzygy, yeah. Okay, word. all right. There are a couple of beautiful effects. When he arrives, he doesn't speak English. The word balloons are there. All the letters of the words in the balloons are there. And they are broken up into the shapes of the words that the people are saying. But they are all mixed up to give you the indication of this is something he doesn't speak the language. But if you're looking at it from context, you can clearly see what these two police officers are saying to him. It's there, and it's brilliant. It's this this little word trick that I did not see coming that I really, really enjoyed. And we discover that part of the reason that he decides not to destroy the world for Syzygy is because he sees that the people of New York are free to do what they want and kind of hang out on the beach and have hot dogs and do nothing. And, of course, when uh, Cornwall shows up, we have a little note that says that their speech is translated from Les Pans Magiques. Later on, he has a goldfish for an evil spell, and the goldfish is translated from Les Langues Fichtiques. And the goldfish's dialogue goes, I am a fish, put me in water. I am a fish, put me in water. Which I really, really enjoy. Overall, this is one of those books where the craft of the writing is almost more fascinating than the story being told. The, I mean, this story of an evil wizard coming to New York, getting into modern life, buying himself a motorcycle, getting an office and, you know, becoming famous for saving people is fascinating. And we get to the end and something completely unexpected happens, which of course, it's weird. It's unexpected in a way where you're like, I feel like I know where this is going now. And I didn't up to that point, which is both good and bad. I mean, it's familiar territory in a way, but then it's also something entirely bizarre. And, you know, the main character has an enormous lumberjack beard, which I hear is all the rage right now. Um, three slices of meatloaf for curse words. Number one, I enjoyed it. I will look out for the next couple issues. If okay. it starts going where I think it's going, I'm not sure if I'm in for any particular long haul, but then I'm not sure if there is a long haul. This may be a six-issue or a 12-issue series, but this was a series that got my attention from the beginning, and I'm definitely into it. 
even with that moment at the end where it felt like they might have had one plate spin and fall a little bit and all their spinning plate act. So, so he has come from the future or where, where is he from? We don't know. He's from a place we are not certain. Cornwall uh, okay. clearly seems to be a 13th century type of guy. Okay. So from the past but I'm not to the sure. future, maybe. Okay. Not entirely sure. I will say that the visuals of his magic and his stuff make it seem like he's from the past, but it may also be one of those alternate reality things. Hip- hipster wizards. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, cool. Well, thank you for that. I believe we call those whipsters. Oh, okay. Thanks, Matthew. Uh, Thank you, Rodrigo for Dante. And of course, uh, Conan the Slayer there uh, from Dark Horse, all coming your way this week or very nears about. Uh, You can find out more reviews over at Majorspoilers.com. Always something uh, interesting popping up in those reviews categories. You never know what you're going to see. We're trying to get as many publishers represented as we can. I know a lot of people like it when we cover uh, more than just... uh, Dark Horse and Image and uh, DC and Marvel, that we try to get some smaller publishers in there as well. So go check that out, Majorspoilers.com. Uh, also at Majorspoilers.com, you're going to find the Major Spoilers Poll of the Week. Poll of the Week, 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 week. I think we're just going to continue with Super Fights because so many people said they love the Super Fight. <laughs> plus, I'm, plus, I'm building up enough Super Fights so we can do something else here in a couple of months. <laughs> so the question this week... Who's going to win in a fight, Rodrigo? And I actually were uh, with these uh, expansion packs that uh, Super Fight has. You're able to actually add on bonus stuff. So who's going to win in a fight, Rodrigo? A fireman who has an elephant trunk that shoots acid or your best friend who has telekinesis and is wearing a mask so scary nobody can look at them? Hmm. Well, um... That is a difficult one, uh, largely because it doesn't seem like my best friend would actually want to get into a fight to begin with. So that uh, that fireman would have to be coming at her pretty hardcore. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that's the case, then I think it would be difficult because... Um, Obviously, there would be a lot of surprise involved, and also, I think the uh, the the acid shooting trunk is kind of negates the mask problem, right? It's like a mm-hmm. spray of acid you don't have to like have pinpoint accuracy with. Um, so even a super duper scary mask that you can't look at, uh, you can just you know tilt your trunk however he's using it if it's coming out of his face or if he just has like. An elephant, an trunk. acid, an acid <laughs> elephant under his arm. I'm guessing. Squeeze I mean, he's a he's right. a he's a fireman, so he knows. That's the other thing is like specifically, he would know uh, his way around uh, spraying stuff. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I would didn't have want to, to say it, it, but I had to say it. Yeah, no, I would. Uh, I would probably have to give it to the 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 fireman. Okay. I also went with a fireman for the exact same reason in that uh, you just have to point in the general direction and you get it. Plus, my best friend's kind of an idiot, would probably screw up the telekinesis part. So uh, <laughs> I went with the fireman. Matthew, what about you? Someday you're going to have to introduce us to your friends. Yeah, I will. There's, Believe me, and you'll, you'll agree with me. This guy's an idiot. There's or a girl. Couple of, Could be either. There's a couple of things here that I think we need to address. First of all, when I think telekinesis, my expectation is that you can do a force field. 
And if you're surrounding yourself with a field of mental force, that's not going to be melted by acid. That's that's not how telekinesis works. There's no physical mass there to melt. Sure. Plus, we don't know that it's not, you know, lysergic acid, which would just have you tripping. But what it really comes down to, I think, in this one is who's your best friend and my best friend, if you'll pardon the expression, will F some people up if she has telekinesis. And so regardless of a mask, what? Don't you give me the finger, woman. I'm complimenting you. Anyway, she would mess people up with telekinesis, especially if people come at her with a poor elephant. Because, you know, what's he doing to that elephant? How is he hurting that elephant and making it shoot acid? Does the elephant know it's shooting acid? Is the acid hurting the elephant? In any case, my best friend would mess you up. And if you give her telekinesis and an evil, evil voodoo mask, she'll be like a Scooby-Doo villain waiting to happen. Just needs those darn kids. Uh, okay, so there exactly. you go. Two, two for the fireman, one for your best friend. <laughs> Tim, no Tim one Winsett. for my best friend. Your best friend, as we have mentioned, is an idiot. Is an idiot, yeah. Um, Tim, again, has probably the best answer so far this week in the Major Spoilers Poll of the Week. I would encourage you to head over to Majorspoilers.com, check out his answer, and then fill in your own. Did a good job there, Tim. Let's see if you can do it again uh, next week. Matthew, how's Man. everyone voted so far this week? I'm I'm sorry. I'm still stuck in the middle of Tim's answer, man. What is That man is brilliant. Yeah, okay. it's, it's good stuff. Uh, right now, there aren't a whole lot of votes in the bag, but... Best friend with telekinesis is leading by a two to one margin, 67% to 33%. But again, at this level, 10 votes either direction can throw things entirely into a tizzy. I would say, first of all, don't say tizzy because it makes you sound like you're my grandmother. And second of all, get in there and vote your vote because if you believe that that elephant trunked fireman is uh, the baddest of the bad, then it clearly means your best friend is not as dangerous as mine. There you go. Emotional uh, problems aside. Oh, wait, never mind. Man, you better stop right there, buddy. <laughs> I know. She's you better stop right there, best friend. Hey, you we made kind of announcement this week uh, over at the, um, uh, the VIP live feed. We give a lot of behind the scenes stuff of what's going on, what's coming up, th- these kinds of things. And uh, one of the things that uh, we're going to do, providing that we have support for it, is we're starting a new patron slash VIP only column written by Matthew called Why Do You Hate Me? (laughs) Or as we've called it for the last year or so, the Major Soilers trade paperback (laughs) column. Oh, no, not column, Matthew. It's not a trade paperback. It's individual issues. So when we tell you, Matthew, you will be reviewing Old Man Logan. You will be reviewing each issue of Old Man Logan. And I will learn to type with my middle fingers in the air. There you go. Because I'm just that good. Uh, Matthew has agreed to this. This isn't something that's being forced upon him. But uh, the only way you can you can uh, show Matthew how much you hate him is uh, by heading over to patreon.com slash major spoilers and signing up. We are, what are we? We are less than $500 away from hitting that goal. Mm. Which means we literally could have... 100 people sign up between now and next month. And Matthew would be click, click, clickety, clacking away. Z-tickety. Reviewing old man Logan and whatever else. And, and we're going to let the patrons decide. You what, don't know how what fast books, I type. 
we're going to uh, let the let the patrons decide what books Matthew will review. It's only going to be up on the patron side of the VIP site, uh, so it won't appear on the major spoiler site. So if you want this exclusive, you're going to have to head over to patreon.com slash major spoilers. Just check out all the goals that we have. We are like $55 away. We're $55 yeah. away from a new bonus tracks episode where we'll uh, provide a bonus <gasps> track commentary for Condor Man. Condor That's literally Man. literally 10 people can make that happen or one one at the highest pledge level could make that happen. Perhaps um, the greatest science fiction movie that Disney put oh out man. in the year 19. I cannot wait. I, I cannot wait till we get to do that Condor Man one because holy cow, we're going to have fun with that. Uh, but you can find out more, and I would just encourage you, whether you can sign up or not, head over to patreon.com slash major spoilers. There is some general free stuff for people, whether you're a uh, supporter or not. But uh, check out what we have to offer, look at our goals, and then consider signing up. We've already uh, passed our goal for January, which is great, uh, and we are heading into our February goal as we speak. So uh, patreon.com slash major spoilers. Also, general free stuff. Oh, yeah, there's some general free stuff over there, too. Uh, there's also some uh, corporal. There's also some corporal free stuff. Uh, some corporal there's some, punishment. There's some private free stuff. No. Uh, yeah, there's private free stuff over there. Okay. Um, it, it just says golly and Shazam a lot. Yeah. See, you know, that's the thing that hurts it. Years and years ago, there was a wrestling group whose names were puns, and one of them was supposed to be named Private Stash. But he didn't want to be the lowest ranked individual, so they made him Major Stash, which completely ruined the joke and destroyed the entire pun. Mm. And that, my friends, is why WCW went out of business in the year 2000. I see the year 2000. The more you know. <laughs> I was having a no Ashley this week, in case you were wondering. Uh, she is going through the uh, the torrential rain pour there in California, and it's knocked the power out to her building. So she's not with us this week. I think she's... Uh, She's keeping entertained by going and seeing the Justice League Dark premiere. Uh, so I think that's really cool. But of course. I get it. If you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> of course you do. You're smart. Um, it's like the third one this month. Yeah. Uh, of course, if you have uh, iTunes or digital service, uh, Justice League Dark available today. In fact, mine was available about two, eight, two o'clock this morning. Haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Can't wait to check it out, though. Is it animated? Yeah, it's the animated movie, the latest one. It's got uh, all your Justice League dark characters, including Batman. Yeah. John Constantine, says... John Constantine, uh, Zatanna, Swamp Thing, Batman, you know, Justice League Dark. Black, Black Orchid. <laughs> yeah. Shade the Changing Man. Uh, but last week, Ashley and I and Jason were sitting down talking. Uh, we, I don't know, we ended up talking for about an hour or so. And the topic, and I was hoping um, she would be here tonight because uh, I said, oh, we need to talk about this in the future is uh, we were talking about, is it time, finally, for us to move away from these single issues and go with trade paperbacks once a year, twice a year, you know, whatever, how fast they can uh, put them out, but essentially go with an Earth One type format uh, or just a, you know, a six issue story collected in trade. And every six months or every year, you get one of those trades and that is your Iron Man or your Spider-Man or whatever for that time period. What do you guys think of that? Uh, let's start with I... Rodrigo. Oh, okay. Uh, well, that is uh, the only way, pretty much, in which I purchase comics, so I would be fine with that. Has the time come? Uh, I don't know. For uh, Basically, the, the issue is twofold. Is there a market for it? Almost certainly. 
uh, have um, comic book companies finally like come around to be like, you know, if we just focused on the trade instead of the individual issues, then maybe we could do X, Y, or Z and, and, and maybe, you know, new, new opportunities, new problems, new things to tackle. Um, I don't think they're quite there yet. And they haven't been there for a long time. We've been talking about that forever. Like, yeah. Like as comic book nerds and even just the three of us, we've been talking about this forever. And I don't know if they're there yet. You know, I don't know if they can just like, because we don't even, they don't even publish those numbers, you know, or, or, or if they do is like, not everybody does. It's not something that the industry even seems to care about, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, out, out in front, they're always talking about individual issue sales, individual issue sales, individual issue sales. And like, um, even that it's actually not even individual issue sales. It's distributor like interest right you know more than anything right um so i don't know it might be something an idea whose time has come but i don't know if the industry is ready for it mm. so my argument is basically if you look at earth one the series the batman the two batman ones the superman and the wonder woman one they have sold incredibly well they actually get a lot more press uh, for that one standalone book than any other single issue or creator announcement, um, you know, in the mainstream press. So that's number one. So you'd have that going for you. Um, you don't, well, it's, it's Stephen King aside, you don't sell books in chapters, do you? Today we collect a book into one single volume and we sell it as a book whether it's 800 pages or 200 pages or whatever. And it may be someone who is completely unknown author. And yet some publisher somewhere has run the numbers and said enough people will buy this book by unknown author that it is worth our while to do. I would think that you were at that point with, with comic books, you would have more mainstream distribution outlets in, in more traditional bookstores. You'd have longer shelf life for those books. So more people would buy them over time. And people would know going in, I'm getting a complete story in this one volume. Uh, or maybe I have to buy it twice a year or whatever. But you wouldn't have, and I guess they could do it however they want, but my guess would be you're not going to have someone required for the next 20 years to every six months go and buy a new Spider-Man tome. Your hope would be that they would do that, but there wouldn't be a requirement because you're getting the six to eight or 12 issues or however many they want to put in that book in one book and, and people can go and read it. That's kind of my justification for it. Matthew, what are your, what are your thoughts or reactions? Um, I think that I, I'm of two minds on this because if you say to me, is it time to switch to trade paperbacks? I would say, no, that time was the year 2000, <laughs> but that time has also come and gone. There is not a single monthly comic being published now that breaks the level that would escape cancellation in the 1980s. Right. And that's part of our problem. Our distribution arm and the stores that actually sell the comics are still based on that same model that the direct market built in the 1980s, that Phil Suling model of you buy your order your books two months ahead of time, you get your books, you sell your books, you get more books. I feel like you're going to have a lot of problems transitioning, well, first of all, Diamond, but also the retailers 
to an expectation of that longer game where mm-hmm. you have those those things. But I think your bigger problem is going to be that the monthly issues, the monthly comic thing is kind of tradition. And when it comes to comic books, we are literally sitting in an 80-year-old art form that refuses to evolve and change because Jack Kirby did it this way in 1942. And the change that does come is gradual and grudging and extremely difficult and often rolled back once it's actually out there. So well, I think there's definitely a market for this. Mm-hmm. I think that we it, it's something that I believe that Marvel and DC and Dark Horse and all of the major publishers should be doing but I don't think that it's going to 100% replace that monthly Spider-Man title well, here's unless what, and until yeah. that, that model collapses. But here's one thing that, that could really make it work. Now, I'm not saying that tomorrow or, you know, February 1st, suddenly everyone has to switch to a trade paperback f- form. You do it slowly over time. One way that Marvel could do it is, you know, we haven't seen any Fantastic Four books in a long time. We haven't seen any real, you know, good X-Men books in a time. I mean, there's some coming. We've got the new X-Men blue and gold and all that other stuff coming out. But they canceled uh, Fantastic Four. They could have been spending the last four years building up these these tales so that, hey, guess what's coming February or January 1st, everyone? It's your all new Fantastic Four series. It is a giant volume of, I don't know, what would you guys say? Six issues? Is that enough? Or does it have to be longer than that? Four to six. I think okay, so here's here's a six issue. We're giving you your money's worth. Nineteen ninety nine book. It's coming out January one. It is the Fantastic Four, and we're going to be doing Fantastic Four in this form from now on. And people go and read it, and it's a fantastic story, and it's great. And people are like, "Oh man, when's the next one coming out?" Well, guess what, everybody? The next one's coming out July fourth weekend. It's going to be great. And so people have that anticipation for that. I think retailers would say, oh, if this is a good series, people are going to continue to buy it. It will have a longer shelf life, just like comic book retailers today know that they can buy trade paperbacks and those sell incredibly well. And they do have a long shelf life. Sometimes they have a short shelf life because people come in and buy them so quickly. Um, But it kind of starts to build that mentality. And so the next time that they want to uh, kick something off, they're like, hey, we haven't done a. I don't know, cloak and dagger series in a while. Well, instead of experimenting with single issues where one, the first issue might sell 20,000 copies and the second issue will sell 15,000 copies and so on and so forth down the line, we've got your one cloak and dagger tome coming out in October of 2017. And that's what you're going to get for this year, 1999, but you're getting it. We know it's going to sell 20,000 copies and we don't have to worry about the diminishing returns. Uh, issue after issue. And we don't have to worry about canceling a book in the middle because it's done. We're done with that tome. It's done and it's shipped out the door. So I, I think that the comic book publishers could get on board with that if they started doing it slowly and started planting it in people's minds that, hey, from now on, Fantastic Four is only going to be done this way. Or, you know, XYZ property is only going to be done this way and see what the reaction is. I bet it would be very, very positive. Not if it was universal. Now, I this is my thing. Part of the reason that the Earth One books get the attention they get is because they're outside the norm. Because sure. they are a different alternate, format. alternate reality. 
But they're a different format. They are something that is not your average book. And people are like, oh, my God, we need to look at this. In the late 1990s, they brought back treasury-sized books for mm -hmm. a minute. And everybody mm -hmm. was like, oh, my God, these treasury-sized books are cool, until they got them home and realized they had nowhere to put them. But I think that it, it always the big issue is going to be the brick-and-mortar retailers getting on board with it. If it is in But they're already buying trades. They're already buying and selling trades. In addition to the monthly books, yes. But I don't think that moving to exclusively to a, we'll put out six issues when they're ready and we'll put out six more issues when they're ready. First of all, I think that <laughs> this is my experience from the stores that I have been in and or worked for is a lot of these stores are on that month to month. We have to get those big sales. We get to that summer. Boom, we're going to sell 50,000 copies of The Blackest Night and do what we're going to do. Those transitions from one model to the next would be devastating for some of those you know, small outlets and smaller stores. Well, now, if they were in, doing it all at once, we could do it in small doses. In the long game, I think it could work. But then there's also that other question, and that is this. Marvel and DC, and to a lesser degree, I think the rest of our major publishers, are in a move-from-event-to-event event kind of presentism. Well, right, right now, we're locked in this post-Civil War, ooh, Tony Stark is dead, Bruce Banner is dead, what's going to happen to Captain Marvel? Seven months from now, all of that's going to be subsumed by that next big thing mm -hmm. and part of the way they maintain that is the slow short bursts and chunks of story where you don't get the whole story unless you buy all eight issues over the nine months and then in between we'll throw you some other things where you find out what's going on here it's more than just a sales model it's an editorial model that would have to well, change. Well, it's, it's, it's an editorial huge. model that's in place because that's the only way they can figure out to boost their sales is to create these events that people are tired. How many years have we been talking about event fatigue? And yet the publishers continue to say, hey, we need a new Secret Wars. We need a new Clone Wars. We need a new blood. And, and we have sell. to make it bigger. Well, it sells initially. But then how quickly does it drop off? It drops off quickly. They get that what if instead of having to worry about a big event, you just have we have a really good story with really good writers and really good artists that would get. I think, honestly, that would get the publicity to get people to go and say, I'm buying this book. And that would be enough. That... And, and over time, over time, you could have it where maybe Marvel does have three giant trades coming out every month that are all new materials that are forcing people to come into the stores that may be five or six years away. If they started it now, um, you know, to switch everything off from the monthlies to a, you know, a monthly series of, of standalone books. But, uh, I think that could be, I think that could be done. I think it would be a successful model. What were you going to say, Rodrigo? Uh, obviously the, uh, the, the biggest argument that I can see of why it could work is binge watchers right now mm -hmm. binge watchers have actually always existed and they are in fact trade waiters mm -hmm. um you know the the internet um and services like netflix and hulu have kind of created this thing where it's like weirdly for the first time tv has finally caught up to comics you know um <laughs> but um 
So that's that's the main argument that I can mm-hmm. see for saying like you have there's a type of person that doesn't want to watch something from week to week. They just want to sit down on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon or whatever and just watch it all in two to three chunks or in one chunk if you just get a whole week into yourself, I guess. Um, so that's that's the main way that I can see it. But even then, that hasn't made episodic television go away. If anything, it's actually weirdly helping it. Mm-hmm. So I think something in the middle would be good, right? Where you have... Uh, you know, it, it would be a Hulu versus Netflix situation where Hulu is repeating these shows and archiving them so that you can watch them all at once, but they're still being released in individual issues. Um, and then you have something like Netflix where it's like anytime something gets released, it all just comes in these giant chunks, right? Um, I mean, obviously, Netflix also does episodic television as well. I guess both Netflix and Hulu do original programming, so it, mm-hmm. maybe the difference is not that. Mark, but Hulu does kind of set themselves up as the big, like, yeah. multiple network episodic TV guys. Um, so having something like Steven suggests where you still have, you know, your monthly X-Men comic, your monthly uh, Superman comics, but um, they do a big, um, it's like there's not enough interest necessarily for an ongoing, uh, say, Captain Marvel comic or an ongoing manhunter comic or an ongoing uh cloak and dagger comic but they can release these like big one-shot trades and you know that all of the cloak and dagger fans all of the manhunter fans are going to go and pick that one up they get their big influx of cash that one time and something to put in their pocket to say well we can do this again next year or two years from now or whenever yeah I I I think I think it's time for somebody to do something in those lines. And I'm not sure I think it would be best done by Marvel or DC, but I think the real I think the the company that should do it and probably would see the biggest impact would be Dark Horse. If they did it with like a Hellboy series, hey, there's a new Hellboy. It's coming out in one giant volume. It's going to be 26 bucks, but it's, you know, it's uh, six issues and we're going to be doing this from now on with Hellboy. Or however, the, they, however they want to do it with whatever their main property is that is now no longer Star Wars. Yeah, another another thing there is that this definitely at first would have to be done with established properties. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like a Fantastic would, Four. Yeah, it would probably be way too risky for them to be like, okay, we're going to launch this new hero mm-hmm. and it's going to come in like the equivalent of an eight-issue trade. Um if everybody sees that and they're like, well, I don't know who that is and I don't want to spend 25 bucks on this, that could definitely be a problem. And to a big degree is that economic risk that has always prevented this from happening, right? It's like they know that as long as you just turn up the price a little at a time, people are willing to pay two, three, four, five dollars for a single issue. Um, but you put on a $25 price tag on something and it starts scaring people off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. What property would you start out off with, Matthew? Who would you who would who would do you think would make a great standalone trade paperback for a company to say, hey, this is what we're doing with this this property or this character here on out twice, twice a year trades. Uh, 
That's tough. Who who would twice a year or in over the course of a year would you be willing to drop 40, 40 bucks on? 45 bucks. I mean, if it was Cloak and Dagger and it was a, here's a standalone Cloak and Dagger's tale, completely done in one volume, I'd pick that up. I'd spend 25 bucks on that. And if it's really good, See, I'd probably go back a second time. I'm bad because I'm one of those weird people who loves anthology titles. Like, you know, mm. they had an anthology book that came out monthly. It was like $5, but it was all the characters of Comics Greatest World mm-hmm. just a couple of years ago. Something like that, where it's like a world property like CGW or Milestone or the, you know, whatever characters are tied into, say, an Avengers franchise. I would say I would prefer having a pool of characters in that book rather than, you know, a lot of Spider-Man. Unless it was something like, you know, you, you have your whatever's going on. And instead of waiting six months for all of your Spider-Verse to drop, you get all your Spider-Verse at once. Yeah. You're Spider-Man or a Batman. But it should be noted that I'm not 100% sure that this model would work. So I don't know. What about you, Rodrigo? Who would you who would you want to kick it off with? Uh, personally, what I would like to see is maybe like a machine man type situation. Mm. Um, like dial it down from next wave, but not so far down that the humor isn't there. Um, what I think that's what I would like to see. What I think would probably work really well is a property like alias Mm -hmm. or a property like Howard, the duck, um, kind of these like superhero adjacent things where you can, and especially because they're like mystery based, you can have something where the, here is a like, you know, quote unquote, six issue arc or four issue arc mystery. And you just get to read the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You don't get spoiled because you didn't go to the store on Wednesday to pick up issue three. And you're also not spoiled by the cover or spoiled by the toy solicitations. Right. Mm-hmm. They're just like, it's all there. It all comes out at once. If you read it all the way, you pick it up, you read it all the way through. Um, and it's uh, it also because of the tone of a lot of those things, they leave the general Marvel universe alone. Right. They don't need to be involved. They don't need to be nose deep in siege or uh, thunder bucket or whatever they need. <laughs> nearest, uh, or chunks of blood war. Yeah. Chunks of blood war. You could do something like that, though. Somebody would mm-hmm. buy that eventually. Well, yeah. the other the other thing that you could do is just go the full other side and just say, okay, so all of these titles are taking part in Chunks of Blood War. Um, if you want to read the main Chunks of Blo- Blood War title, it's all in one issue. And mm-hmm. then you will know everything that's happening. Mm-hmm. If you pick up this book, this is the only book you need to pick up for Chunks of Blood War. It is... Um, (laughs) $30. But then you'll know. Yep. Yeah. Oh, blood war. Uh, Real quick, before we get out of here, it was announced this week that the Flash Supergirl uh, musical crossover was going to have the music meister as uh, as the main villain. Everyone was hoping for Neil Patrick Harris, Matthew, but it is not. He's he's all busy doing uh, Lemony Snicket's uh, series of uh, terrible reading cards. Well, and also he's 40. He's a, a little bit. He can still be long a music in the meister. Tooth. 
No, you you can't be over forty on the CW unless you're Marty Stein. Are you are you upset about this? Uh, that this Darren Chris uh, he was also on uh, on Glee. Glee. Well, I'm not upset so much as I don't care for Darren Chris. I I, I find him to be in, insufferably smug. But then there's also the fact Is he that one I've of the only prep really school boys on Glee. Yeah. Okay. You know, Kurt. See, I I watched like the first season Kurt or two was, and then I kind of drifted away. Kurt was the really cool kid who was just like, ha, I'm here and I'm gay and deal oh, with yeah, me, yeah, blah, yeah. blah, okay. blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He went off to prep school and right. he dated insufferably smug okay. boy. All right. I know who it is. This guy. And is then now. they came back. Yeah. And I didn't I didn't necessarily care for him. He also reminds me of Lena Dunham's boyfriend on Girls who I want to punch in the head until he dies. But uh, just Kylo cut, Ren? That, cut that out. Yes. Cut no, that. other boyfriend. <laughs> oh, okay. You know, the guy who uh, who the mom stole the douche monkey's van. <laughs> but um, I'm not bothered so much as I am disappointed. And I feel like the potential that I saw for a Neil Patrick Harris music meister is now definitely going to be something different. But mm-hmm. The real joy of this is going to be Grant and Melissa and the supporting cast singing. Yeah. So I'm down with that because Supergirl came back this week and I just remembered what it was like to have a superhero being fun and smiling and enjoying herself and doing, you know, stuff where she isn't blood flooding chest cavity must climb higher. Rodrigo, do you have any cares, thoughts, et cetera? Um, I think a, a musical episode has to be made with a lot of care and a lot of thought. And it doesn't seem that way. It seems very like the music music meister uh, episode from Brave and the Vault seems entirely effortless. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously a lot of thought was put into it. Um, I think probably the archetype for the plot relevant musical episode uh, is uh the Buffy musical episode, mm-hmm, right? right? Yeah, right. once more um, with feeling. Once more with feeling, uh, which really codified the idea of something like a musical episode happening, and it also really there being a reason for it, and also still having plot relevant things happen in this weird one-off thing, right? Right. Motivated. Um, motivated musical. Right. Motivated musical episode. There you go. Um. So uh, I think Buffy did it really well. I think um, Raven the Bold did it really well. I think Scrubs didn't do it terribly well. Mm, the um, Scrubs was a little question. You know who did it well? Who? In 1968, Gilligan's Island. Phil Silvers crashed on the island. Yeah, I remember. And he was the secret producer, and he was looking for a new show. And they did a musical version of Hamlet with the music from yeah. Carmen because the professor had his Carmen 78s. Uh-huh. I asked to, to be, be or not, not to be. That, and is, that the is the question that I ask of me. Thee. Yeah. And it's a it's a really wonderful and it's kind of the whole plot is we're going to put on a show to impress this guy and give him a great idea so he'll take us off the island. Mm-hmm. And then at the end he steals their idea and doesn't want them to take credit so he leaves them on the island. But uh. Within the framework of, well, you knew they were. <laughs> they didn't get rescued till 1978, man. Where were you? Not anyway. born yet. <laughs> Shut up. But yeah, it. I feel like that's that's a really successful one as opposed to, you know, <laughs> Lucy's going to go to the show with Ricky. Yeah. And the right. show is, you know, 
Ricky's kind of that show. variety, the variety hour stuff kind of folded in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, yeah, I, I really do like that Buffy model of it's meaningful and it makes sense. And the things that happen in that Buffy episode, that's the turning point for that whole season. Yeah, no, absolutely. It it's that's where you find out what happened to Buffy when she died, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a hugely motivational episode for all the characters. And it's also that high bar now that you have to exceed. I mean, Diedrich Bader singing opera to outsing Neil Patrick Harris is one of the few things that I would say actually outdoes that Buffy episode. Oh, I think our yeah. little uh, to be or not to be little moment there is. Uh... Quite good. Too. Yeah, the major spoilers uh, motivated uh, musical yeah. episode. Yeah, and, well, and, and I don't know what's scarier that uh, our singing or the fact that we knew instantly <laughs> we, the we lyrics that of a song. sixty of a sixty year old show, ladies and gentlemen. To, yeah, to be is, fair, isn't each isn't each season of Gilligan's Island like four episodes? Quiet. No, Gilligan's Island. There's like hundred and twenty eight episodes. Oh, are they? All right. Yeah. Oh, no, no, there's a lot of episodes. Sometimes right. they kind of all blend together. All right, let's get out of here for this week. Thank you, everyone, for downloading and listening. Thank you for being part of the Major Spoilers experience. Again, head over to patreon.com slash major spoilers. Just check it out. And if you want to kick a few bucks our way, we would certainly appreciate it. Uh, We will be back next week because we know that you love comics, and we do too. And we will talk with you soon. Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you. I don't care if the Hulk could defeat the man of This podcast is copyright 2017 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.